Hello, everyone, and welcome to Breaking, a baseball news podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson here with TC Zenka. TC, what's going on today? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm freshly vaccinated, and I'm I'm good to go. I feel like I'm ready to go lick some sidewalks or lick some countertops. <laughs> just get out there just, just kissing. Room. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, we'll hop right into it today. So far this season, we've we've hit on a lot of big injuries for teams, but mostly we've done that as part of this week in baseball as teams deal with these injuries as they seem to be happening every night for any given team throughout the league. But really, the week's big idea is what early injury worries you most following up on the heels of a post you wrote up over at MLBTR because there are so many big injuries happening right now. So, immediate response, TC, to how these injuries are rolling in and impacting teams throughout the league. Yeah, there's been a lot of them to significant players in the early going. We've now had one... COVID outbreak with the Nationals and now a second one that's starting with the Cubs and we're going to see how kind of what happens there. Um, but otherwise, there just have been a couple of big guys go down and, you know, early in the season, this is this is always going to happen in a 162-game season, but it can very quickly. I mean, these are the things that change the, our projections, right? If We could be pretty good at projection, projecting records and teams if nobody got hurt and if none of these things, you know, these like curveballs came in. So these are the things that are going to really affect more so than, in my mind, no, more so than, you know, how a team does in the first week or two. It's these little injuries that could linger throughout the season that could really change the trajectory of the season. And there's really, there are very few teams that have gone, that, that have a clean slate so far. Yeah, pretty much all across baseball, every division has been impacted one way or another by these kinds of injuries. And some of them we've talked about in the past we touched on the Mariners with James Paxton, who was just uh, formally announced this afternoon. We're recording on Tuesday this week. So formally announced this afternoon that he's going to uh, he's going to be out for the year. They're still waiting for Kyle Lewis to come back, of course. Uh, the Rays' bullpen woes, we've touched on those in the past. The Yankees, the same thing. The Astros and Rangers also with some bullpen woes, uh, along with injuries to guys like uh, Luke Voigt and Framber Valdez. So... We've Valdez touched was, on that, those... was that first big one in spring training. I mean, Framber yep. Valdez, he was like, oh, wait, it's going to be a long season. You don't know what's going to happen. Right, the harbinger of what's to come, and, and still we're finding out. Uh, but there are some other teams that are maybe more uh, seriously impacted with serious names. So why don't you just tell us about that post you wrote up at MLBTR, and we'll start to walk through which injuries early on here might actually worry us the most. Yeah, so I went through... A bunch of the teams here. I put up a poll to see what the MLBTR readers were thinking about which team has the most to worry about. And in my mind, this is for this season kind of trajectory for you know the next 150 games. So let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So I ended up listing 13 teams. So that's almost half the teams with and I even left out a couple that could have been listed with significant injuries. So um the ones that we haven't touched on yet, uh the A's. With AJ Puck going down, it's a real gut punch. Same with Trevor Rosenthal. Rosenthal's out three months. Puck, they don't know how long he's going to be out, but it's going to be longer than the minimum injured this time. Uh, the Nats had their COVID outbreak. Uh, the Mets lost Carlos Carrasco and Seth Lugo and Dylan Batances from the bullpen. JD Davis is on the DL, but he's going to be, or the IL. Uh, he should be fine, though. Uh, the Dodgers, uh, Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts have been beat up a little bit. Uh, the Blue Jays, we've talked about Kirby Yates, lost him for the whole year. 
Nate Pearson is not yet back. George Springer has not yet played a game for the Blue Jays. The White Sox were the other big one, right? Eloy Jimenez, right before the season started. Torres Pectoral, he's out five to six months. Tim Anderson's been out. Adam Engel's been out. And then the Padres with Fernando Tetis Jr. We don't yet know what's going to happen with him. His shoulder popped out of its socket, and there's a slight tear in his labrum, which is very scary. But they say he's working his way back, and he's going to be back in the lineup. So that's one of these guys that might linger. So as far as the MLB trade rumors, readers were concerned. The Padres have the most dire situation right now. 36% of readers voted uh, that the Padres should be the most concerned about their injury situation. But what I thought was interesting, and I wanted to get your take on the rest of these, Tim, is where kind of the rest of the top five shook out. So it was Padres at 36%. White Sox were second at 16%. So almost half or uh, more than half uh, as few as the Padres. Blue Jays came in at right around 12%. The Dodgers came in just under 9%. And then it was the Mets at five and a half percent and everybody else was under five. So we have Padres, White Sox, Blue Jays, Dodgers, Mets. What do you think, Tim? Are there, are the readers right? Are those the teams that should be the most concerned? I think so. I'm going to note the Diamondbacks real quickly. And it's funny because I, I mentioned this just a moment ago before we really hopped on and looking at the poll results now, they're at the very bottom almost. They're a third from the bottom, but it feels as though the Diamondbacks are one of those pesky teams that finds a way to contend in some way, shape, or form, right? To push for a wild card or a second wild card. And, I mean, they're doing all sorts of weird things to try to fill the void from Ketel Marte. They're signing Josh Reddick to a minor league deal. They're they're trying to let Josh Rojas run away with the job, and he just seems to be refusing to do it. Josh Van Meter is coming up after... Uh, spending uh, some time with the Reds the last couple of years and not being able to crack their roster. I just, I don't know what it does for the Diamondbacks to miss Ketel Marte the way they're going to miss him. And the Reddick signing, I think, forebodes that it'll be longer than we might expect initially. We have not actually heard any news from the Diamondbacks on Ketel Marte. And how long he could be out, I think it's going to be longer than they think. And I think that might actually tank their season well before they're really underway. Yeah, I think you're totally right there. And I think that's probably why they ended up near the bottom of this list. This is a little harsh, but I think people just don't care about the Diamondbacks. And they're yeah. I think people think that they're done. And I can't help but agree with them. I mean, Zach Gallon is back tonight, making his first start of the year. Pitching Pitching right now. He gave up a couple minutes ago a huge bomb to Stephen Piscotty. Well, they're done then. They're toast. He can't do it. No <laughs> one can. There might not be a, a player that's more important to their team than Cattell Marte. I mean, he's definitely a top 10, top 15, top 20 guy in terms of importance to that team just because the talent level isn't high enough to make up for for any kind of losses there. And Marte is the one guy really who you think can be a superstar and who has been a superstar. And he seemed to be getting back there. I mean, he played like four or five games before they were out. Right. But it was like an incredible start to the season for him where he had numerous, insane. yeah, numerous extra base hits, uh, was really a lightning rod player for them. And it, it's unfortunate that he's going to be out and who knows what he looks like when he comes back. That's the thing that concerns me about, Injuries in general. I know you asked me to talk about those other top five, and I'll certainly get to that in a moment. But these injuries in general, what concerns me is that we really don't know if guys are going to be coming back fully healthy. We don't know the the process for coming through again at this point. After the start and stop last year, after the ramp up this year, 
and being ready to play a full 162 or as many as they can. I just, I don't know if guys are really going to be healthy all year long, and it's really kind of a bummer to to think about that when it comes to all these injuries because, like you're saying, it really is pretty much half the league is dealt with this in some way, shape, or form so far. And that's why it strikes me as odd that the the top teams in the poll from the MLBTR readers, the Padres, the Dodgers, even the Mets, we've talked about them and their their depth to a certain extent this year. So it very much surprises me that they come in as the most serious, I guess. And that really makes me ask, how are we considering serious? Like severity of injury or how it impacts the team competing? My thinking with it was that it was more about the long-term outlook for the team. So, you know, depending on how serious the injury is, would influence you're thinking on, on how worried the team should be. I mean, for the Mets, yeah, they're without Carlos Carrasco for a while. And they're without, you know, they knew, uh, we knew at the start of the season that Noah Syndergaard wouldn't be back until halfway through the year, but their bullpen is probably in better shape than it's been in the past. So like losing Seth Lugo is a bummer, but Dylan Batances, he was just kind of gravy. I don't think we really expected, at least we hadn't seen anything from him yet. And JD Davis's injury is, is, probably temporary. I mean, I think you're right. What I will say is that, as you mentioned, once these players go on the injury list, they're kind of now on a list as, you know, guys who have had injury problems now. And this is, these are the types of things that can linger and can really affect the season. And we might not know if Zach Gallen is totally healthy when he comes back, or especially for position players are much more likely to play through injuries and the effect will be seen in the box score, even if it's not, even if they're on the roster. And so these are like kind of all these guys now are on a bigger list in my, in my mind is, you know, let's pay attention to these guys, see if they ever get back to it this year, see if they ever really get fully healthy and, and only time will tell. So, you know, yeah, with the Mets, I'm not sure why they're fit on the statistics except that maybe people like the Mets. Carlos Carrasco's injury is the most concerning of the bunch there. The most surprising one to me here is the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers came in fourth on this list. The Dodgers are going to be fine. Like they're going to, Dodgers are going to be fine. They're eight and two. <laughs> they're eight and two, and the injuries aren't severe either. Cody Bellinger and, and Mookie Betts, but Betts isn't even on the injured list. He just has a bit of a sore back. He's gotten a couple nights off. Bellinger wasn't clear if he was going to go on the IL. They did end up putting him on the on the IL, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be a long term thing. Although you know, with his shoulder, there's concerns there as well. But I don't think those are long term injuries. I think it's just kind of the the name power of of those two guys to get them high on this list. What do you think? I think that's about right. The the name power and the both of the players and of the org, right? It, it's big name teams. The Dodgers have been, I mean, obviously they won the World Series last year. They've been in it for years. Uh, they've been pushing and knocking on that door. The Padres are the big story, I think, this year, really, in terms of even last offseason with Tatis saying, let's go get that big cake, right? Like, just incredible moments they've given us. And I think it's really more maybe a response about the moments we've gotten from teams recently and the moments we expected moving forward. The thing that gets me about the the Dodgers and the Padres really is we've talked about them being built like sponges, right? Like effectively being built as sponges to absorb blows to any part of the roster. And I wrote up just that at baseball prospectus this week saying that the Padres are a sponge that, uh, in handling the depth charts, which is that's kind of my thing this season with BP, along with some other uh, pieces along the way, but it's depth chart looks. And 
the Padres are ready to do this, I think. Hassan Kim is going to be really good. I think he's going to shade closer to 70% of uh, his Pakota projection, which is about a 274 average, um, really getting on base at a good clip, being able to knock at least some extra base hits, right? That kind of thing. Uh, and I think the Dodgers are in a similar boat. I mean, like we're saying, they're 8-2. and two. The Padres are 8-3 and three as, we, as we talk. And who are the Dodgers really playing in place of these guys? I think that's the number one question we have to ask ourselves when these injuries happen. I think the number one concern, the immediate reaction is, oh no, are we allowed to have nice things or not, right? But then the number one question is, well, who's going to step in to fill the void? The Dodgers are doing it with some combination of Zach McKinstry, of Edwin Rios, Chris Taylor, right? Guys who have actually acquitted themselves pretty well. McKinstry's probably played the best out of the three so far, and he might not have a job really when, when they're healthy. Yeah, he's been really good. 38th round draft pick, I think. You know, he's done his job. He's You don't expect Zach McKinstry to be able to step in for monkey bats, but he only has to do it for a couple of games. Right. Hopefully. If it has to, you know, that's the thing. If it's long term, yeah. I mean, this would be the one thing for the Dodgers is if, if they lose Betts and Bellinger, those would, the, would be the two guys probably as opposed to like, you know, or like Kershaw and Bueller or something like that. Like if one particular part of their team gets really decimated, then maybe you start to worry, I guess. But otherwise, you're right. They have more than enough to to bear the weight of a few injuries. And that's the thing really, I guess, too, is that these particular injuries, this is something I think we also even mentioned last week, is that when the, when the injuries are muscular, they're trickier, right? So a back injury with bets that hasn't placed him on IL yet can be concerning. And a calf injury for Bellinger, in addition to the shoulder that he's dealt with in the past, can also be concerning. And it's interesting that you mentioned the sense that maybe these guys won't be playing healthy, especially position players, because I thought of somebody we've also talked about with Chris Bryant, right? These kind of build-up injuries that just pile on after time, and you really hope that they don't have a long-term effect, that they don't take a season to deal with and recover from. So, I don't know, is there is there something I'm missing about the Dodgers, or do we we both feel aligned that they're really in an okay spot? Yeah, they're totally fine right now. Unless if they're, I mean, we will see what happens, but I think they're in better shape than most, than probably every other team. I mean, except for maybe the Padres, who, you know, the Padres, if we want to jump to them, they have had so many injuries so far. It's kind of insane. They are the most prepared for it, and they worked the hardest this offseason at building up the depth for it, but their injury list is so long. They have, have four guys who have undergone Tommy John in the last year and a half. You know, Tatis has only played five games. Uh, Austin Nola hasn't been back yet. They're starting catcher. Trent Grisham just got back uh, for the first time. They're starting center fielder. Half their bullpen is out. Uh, Austin Adams just got was activated for the first time uh, as a Padre. So that's good. But they've also been without Pierce Johnson and Dan Altavilla. Uh, Adrian Morhon just went on the, on the injured list. So the Padres have already been, been hit with all these significant injuries, and they've managed. But... Uh, there's a long season still to go. There is a long season. And what what's unique about the Padres to me is like you're saying, like even their their injured list, it includes um, even Matt Strom and Denelson Lamette and Adrian Morejon, who has a forearm strain, who's avoided injury or long-term injury or surgery from such injury. 
in the past a few times. And now I don't know, like, I guess the biggest question to them is who fills their fifth starter void, right? Because right now it's Darvish, Snell, Musgrove, Paddock. And who are they left with after that? Do you think they insert Ryan Weathers as a 21-year-old into the rotation? Do they eventually call up? Uh, do they eventually call up top prospect Mackenzie Gore? Like, what what is their biggest problem, and how do they try to solve it? I don't know that even the rotation is that big of a problem for them. I mean, yeah, eventually it's going to be Mackenzie Gore. They'll take their time with him, I think. But you know, I think they could throw you know, Jerickson Profar on that fifth day right now, and they'd be fine. There's not <laughs> enough competition in the National League, and they're just so deep everywhere else. I mean, they're down pretty much a whole bullpen, and they still have more than enough arms in the bullpen to make do. I mean, this is a team that's eight and three. The The Tatis injury is the one injury that you really worry about, and, and how much is that going to affect him all year? I mean, to play with a torn labrum, that's – that can be a significant thing, even if he's able to play through it. So Manny Machado becomes even more important for them. He has to be a superstar. Otherwise, you know, and Trent Grisham as well has has to take a step forward from what he did last year. And I, wor- I worry about the offense more than I would worry about the, the pitching staff. Maybe I'm too close to the, to the Padres right now. What worries you about the offense specifically? I know you just went through a point or two there, but what worries you – long-term if they can't quite get a healthy Tatis back. I mean, Tatis is the centerpiece of this team, right? He's the emotional heartbeat of this team. And they, if he's, if he struggles, it's going to be difficult for the rest of the team to really rally around him. Cause he is the guy that has to be a superstar for them. He's the guy that he's the face of the franchise now. So if he has a, a down year for whatever reason, that, that could put unnecessary strain on that, clubhouse i mean as far as the rest of the offense goes i just don't see you know machado's the one other guy there who can really be a superstar who can really carry that team they have tremendous depth they're going to be fine the padres are making the playoffs i'm not concerned about that really but if we get to a point where jerks and profar and hasyan kim and jake cronenworth and jorge mateo are all in the lineup every day like there's not a lot of punch there necessarily it's a lot of versatility and you can protect against anything and you like all those guys individually, but you really want them, you want them to be your utility guys. And so if those guys, and so then you're relying on Eric Hosmer and Will Myers as your middle of the order bats, like they've done that and it didn't work, right? Machado and Tatis raised the ceiling of this team as does the pitching staff. So, you know, with the pitching, what it is, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be able to produce enough offense, but if Tatis isn't able to really be a, a top-tier superstar, I don't know that they can keep pace with the Dodgers to contend for the division. Which, you know, if they fall 10 games back in June or July and they're really just looking at that wild card, that's, that's a more difficult season. It's a lot more difficult, and it really does reshape their even outlook for this season in the moment as the trade deadline comes up, right? It'll be coming up at the end of July, and that just came out. I think today or yesterday that they established the trade deadline will be July 30th this year. And if they are that far back, we've seen teams do it a lot the last couple of years where if they don't feel like they're one of the handful of teams, the top three to five teams that could maybe really push for the World Series, they don't. And while A.J. Preller has a history of being aggressive in numerous directions, whether acquiring prospects or major league talent, I wonder how he would handle such a deadline. And the thing about the Tatis injury is 
he has yeah he's going to have to do something about it at some point right he's probably gonna have to have surgery at some point it was on the athletic uh virginia zakas uh with inside injuries explaining that it's inevitable that he'd have surgery at some point that the labrum is important for shoulder stability that it acts as a cushion in the joint that you know it it's something that even dates back to the minor leagues so as we talked in depth about him last week and how yeah he's 22 and it's it's better it happens now than when he's 32 or whatever but he's already got a history and I don't want to see the team take a step back but it's a good point that you're saying that they really need somebody else to step up. They tried it with Myers and Hosmer. Uh, they need Machado to maybe play at a new level entirely. They need maybe a power outbreak from a guy like Jake Cronenworth, who could do it, I think, given his contact profile, great discipline, the way he approaches the ball at the plate. Uh, he ends up hitting a lot of liners and fly balls, and maybe he tries to not tries to, but maybe he develops into a little bit more power. I think that's where I would look for them as a team to see what Cronenworth and what Kim do and how they respond. I mean, part of the thing with Kim as a player is that KBO doesn't throw as hard, right? Like the average fastball is maybe 90 miles an hour. So to see him get attacked with fastballs like 60% of the time right now is really interesting to watch because... For as patient as he is, maybe he does get overpowered, or maybe he really just needs to tune into a slower speed pitch to try to drive it. I mean, that's what he did for his first tournament the other night, right? I don't, I don't know if anybody caught that, but uh, Jordan Niles hung a breaking ball over the heart of the plate and paid dearly, like upper decker dearly. Uh, so I think it's really going to take development from Kim and Cronenworth. Does that seem accurate, or does there seem to be maybe another place in this roster that guys could step up to? Trent Grisham had a really good year last year. And I'm not sure that you can really expect for him to take another step forward, but he's another guy that that I would look to. He's a guy who was a top prospect and who could maybe be a, I mean, he's been a leadoff guy for them, but he could step up and be a run producer for them. I think the, just the biggest concern is that this is a, we don't have expanded playoffs this year. So we have a one game wildcard playoff, right? You play this whole season and if the Padres aren't able to keep up with the Dodgers, then they'll have one game to get themselves, you know, past that wild card round. That is a tall task. That is hard to, to have to play the whole season looking at the, only that game. For sure. And what I think maybe these injuries do to these clubs, despite their good starts, is emphasize the divisional play and emphasize what it might do to the two whoever loses out, presumably the Padres, right? Because how much do you go all in for one game? Yeah. I just don't know that you can. I don't know. No, 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 not at all. I mean, it is a long season. You have to wait and see. And, you know, the Nats gave us that great example from 2019, being 19 and 31. Coming back from that, you know, we're only seven games in, 10 games in, 11 games in. Teams, there's plenty of time to get off to a slow start and turn it around. The Padres aren't off to a slow start. <laughs> they're off to a, a, a fast start. They're eight and three. Like they're going to be okay. So who then, if we've covered the Dodgers and Padres sticks out to you next, aside from maybe a big name value as an organization, but really in terms of consequential play, 
because we've got the White Sox, the Blue Jays, and we touched on the Mets a little bit, but who sticks out to you among those those clubs? I mean, the Nationals are a team that, to me, I, I, I worry about. There's no, there's not necessarily going to be any long-lasting impact from their COVID outbreak. Most of the team is back. Everyone's back on the active not roster now, except for John Lester. Patrick Corbin, he got to, he started their fifth game of the year, so he technically didn't even miss any starts. But he got beat up a bit in that start, and it's, you know, might take him a little bit of extra time. Josh Bell was getting beat on some fastballs yesterday, and you know, you, that's kind of the thing you that I wonder about, worry about with hitters is are they up to fastball speed yet? And it's early, but the the you know Nationals don't have a ton of depth, and they really need. I mean, Corbin is the key. I wrote about this last week with at Pitcher List. It's if Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin aren't lights out, they really struggle. You know, those guys produced seventy five percent of their pitching war in twenty nineteen, eighty percent if you go by F war. Like they need those three guys to be total studs. So, did you catch the Corbin start in full the other night against the Dodgers? Yeah. So how did you feel about that? Because I, I had some distinct impressions, but I'm curious how you feel about it being a little bit closer to the team and how they've operated. Well, I feel like it's it's kind of a classic Corbin start in many ways. Like he looked good in that first inning and then completely fell apart in the second. You know, walked the bases loaded, just couldn't find his spots. Struggling between the that, you know, getting does does he have enough fastball velocity for that pitch to be a real weapon for him? If it's not, he's in trouble. He's kind of a two-pitch guy. I mean, I know he was working out a, a, a third pitch this year. I think he was working on a changeup maybe. Or a... Feels like he does that every offseason. We hear about his changeup. I know. Ultimately, he's he's fastball slider, and that slider is going to play. And he's going to have these kind of up and down. He's kind of an up and down guy, even in the same game. He can look lights out for three innings, and then he's prone to the beginning. And I think that's... It's kind of what happened on uh, whatever day it was. He had that one really bad inning and otherwise put together a decent stretch. But I feel like that's you're going to get a lot of those starts from from Corbin. The question is to me, like how many of the really you know dominant six inning one run starts can he put together? Seven inning no runs. And the walks I think are critical too, right? Because he was not spotting that fastball at all. Like, no, it was it was not just like off the plate. It was like a foot off the plate at times. In both directions, inside out, it was it was rough. But I think that's also just part of him getting back up to speed. I mean, he's he's he starts out slow. He often starts out slow, struggling with his command and and kind of working his way into up to full form. Max Scherzer does the th- does the same thing. They don't usually look great in April. You know, can he get himself into a groove where he's really locking into his mechanics every start? I think he totally can. But I don't think it's a guarantee either. So. Yeah, I mean, if he can't spot that fastball any better than he was the other day, he's certainly in trouble. But I, I think there's very little chance of that. I think he will find it again. Uh, but it, but it might take a couple of starts. I think, I think the Nats are going to start slow. I think all month it's going to be slow, slow going for them. I think the biggest thing to take away from the Corbin start for me was that he hit 92 pretty regularly, right? That that seems like pretty big. I mean, we've both talked about his fastball being so critical and being being able to really set up that slider, whether he uses it as like the the darting slider that goes to the back foot of righties or maybe the, the slower one that steals pitches on the other side of the plate. I think it's a big deal that he was throwing 92. And I think if they do get up to speed, they could challenge a little bit in the NL East, right? 
But a lot of the time, it's like, man, like that, that's another divisional thing. That's going to be a really tight division. How, how much of a slow start could you afford? And a rocky start or even uh, one where they're calibrating themselves a lot could, could cause some trouble. Well, everyone's starting slow right now, except for the Phillies, and they're going to collapse. So <laughs> I'd say it's wide open right now. Every team's under 500 so, except for the Phillies. So while we're not really dealing with a lot of injuries for the Phillies, do you, do you really think they will collapse? Do you think they're just destined to, or do you think that they're, uh, this is like their peak and they'll, they'll maybe rise to this level throughout the season but not surpass it? I, I certainly don't expect them to win the division, but they, they could. I mean, they have talent there, but they're just every year it seems like they have those, those periods where they just kind of totally fall apart. And, you know, they have been pretty healthy so far. You know, Archie Bradley's on the, on the IL, but now they got to bring up Jojo Romero who's super fun and and I think will be a real weapon for them in the bullpen. I think their bullpen's really going to be okay. A lot depends on Eflin and their rotation and how he looks all year, you know, and, and Nola as well. Does Nola really look like a frontline ace all season for them? If he does, I mean, he, if he's that frontline guy, like he was in, was it 2019 when he was a, you know, top three Cy Young finish. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they've got they certainly have the pieces, but they're they're kind of in a I believe when I see it camp with them. I think I think that's fair. They do have plenty of history to provide us with skepticism. I think Eflin is really a critical piece because and it's come up at pitcher list numerous times about his curveball. I think I wrote about it sometime last year where like when the curve is there, he's a totally different pitcher from when it's not. And he varies, like, start to start. He'll throw a 20% one start, and then I'll throw, like, four the next time out. And it's like, like come on, man. <laughs> what are we doing here? Let's, let's, get, let's get a consistent plan. Uh, but the Phillies, they, do, they did just place Bradley on the IL, and they don't quite fit this conversation otherwise. I think the biggest team I'm concerned about is the White Sox because we've talked about how they're not built to absorb injuries. And what makes them really fun, perhaps, is another potential breakout with your main Mercedes, right? Do, do you think he could fill the void that Jimenez leaves most of the season? Do you think he can keep up what he's done so far? Because to give, you, to give everybody a sense for it, if you're not familiar with Mercedes at this point, he slashed 500, 556, 781 so far. He has walked and struck out exactly 11.1%. 11.1% of the time each. He is already surpassing pretty much everything you'd think he would have done at this point, anything he was projected for. TC, do you think there's something to Mercedes here, or is this like a flash-in-the-pan type 28-year-old who will cool off? I mean, he's definitely going to cool off. He's not going to be... I mean, he went 5-for-5 five <laughs> five in his in his Major League debut. He went 5-for-5. Five five. He was, what did he go, 8-for-8 eight eight before he was retired? I mean, just an insane start. Legendary. He will slow down. I think he can still be a, a solid piece for them. I also think that Andrew Vaughn will, will pick it up a little bit. He's been off to an equally slow start. The problem is just that they have all these guys who are kind of DHs. So yeah, I mean, they can probably replace Jimenez's bat, but it's, it's that Jimenez's bat was able to be on left that really kind of made him a key piece for them without him out there. I mean, Adam Eaton's been off to a, a great start which if he can keep it up, that's good. I actually believe in Nick Williams a little bit. I don't think he's the worst guy to, to stick out there. He can be replacement level at least. Um, but, and I don't think the division necessarily is going to be 
all that as competitive maybe as we thought. I mean, I think the Twins will be great. Royals are going to be better than we thought. Michael A. Taylor just killing it. <laughs> but there's a, yeah, I mean, I just don't think at, at some point they just have too many guys that they want to put in that DH spot. You can't DH Andrew Vaughn and Jake Lamb and Grandal and Mercedes all at the same time. And Jose Abreu, like, somebody's got to play the field. And that means you're sticking, you're relying on, you know, they're putting, it's not a great sign when you have a rookie first baseman who's starting in left field the first week and learning a new position. I mean, what are you, what are you guys doing that a guy has to learn a whole new position in the first week of the season because you don't have the depth to cover one injury. I mean, I mean, it's two injuries. It's angle too. And, but you know, Billy Hamilton was just a, a pull from the slush pile. I mean, they have outfielders, a couple of guys who, you know, Luis Gonzalez is another one who hasn't been brought up yet, but who could, could be a guy for them, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to rely on these guys somewhat. And we just haven't seen it yet. The White Sox remind me of one of my favorite moments from Parks and Rec. And it's when early on uh, the, the city hall group there in the show is asked to each department is asked to create an exa- a possible replacement for a mural in the building. And everybody in the Parks and Rec department submits what they want the mural to be except they're all wildly different. And what they agree on is a mixture of all of them. And the department head, who stays out of it and distance from it, comes in and looks at it and is like, oh, you have a donkey. And Leslie Nope says, what do you mean, a donkey? And the department head, Brandanowicz, says, well, you got asked to design a horse, but you did it by committee, so you came up with a donkey. That's what the White Sox <laughs> remind me of. They've got, yeah. They were asked to to put together a horse and they came up with a donkey because they're using all these weird spare parts, Larry Garcia and Billy Hamilton and Andrew Vaughn, even though he's got a 400 OBP and he's, he's only hitting 143 and is riding the bench. And you don't know what, what kind of adjustments Mercedes might need to make throughout the course of the year. He's only seeing, uh, you know, he's already seeing, what is it? I just had it in front of me. He's seeing, 22% sliders already, a pretty good chunk. He's seeing uh, 31% four-seamers, 18% sinkers, and that's really it. And then about 11 12% curveballs. So he's seeing a lot of breakers and not a ton of fastballs, so teams are taking him seriously. But I don't know. Do you think I, as a 28-year-old, it's almost like maybe he would have done this a little sooner if he could have been legit for the course of the year. And when you see a guy like Billy Hamilton, like you're saying, being pulled off the slush pile effectively, right? And coming in and getting regular at-bats, uh, they are going to get Tim Anderson back soon. It looks like he's going to be reinstated. Yeah. Um, but, like, man, like, uh, that that's frustrating for me. And this is where it's like I don't know. It, it keeps coming up. We keep talking about how teams are evaluating competitive landscapes. And I don't know if the White Sox thought they had it and didn't need to sweat adding a DH or another bat in the offseason. Because if you were really that confident in Andrew Vaughn, I think he'd be playing more consistently in one spot at this point. He would have been ready for it in the event he was needed. Like you're saying, he's not going to learn that position on the fly at the highest level. I I just don't know if they took this seriously in terms of the division. Clearly the Padres and Dodgers did in their own right. division. Yeah. But the AL Central is totally different. It's Instead of a beast, it's like, 
I don't know, like a churchyard sale where it's just like <laughs> the weirdest stuff showing up. It really is. I mean, you know, they they end up starting Nick Nick Williams was their their starting left fielder for their home opener, and he wasn't on the roster. Like, I mean, you tell me about Nick Williams. <laughs> you know what my lasting memory of Nick Williams is as a Phillies fan is that when he was here, he was saying that he didn't feel he was getting the chance to play and that he had earned it, uh, that he was really good, but he was really bad. <laughs> well, he was once Harper showed up and he lost his job, but he had some decent seasons before that, didn't he? I mean, once, I mean, Harper's first year is what, 2019, right? The two seasons yeah. before that, he had a 110 WRC plus and a 102 WRC plus in pretty regular playing he had time. Gone through, he had gone through stretches where he was pretty dreadful. Uh, and I think that quote came up as uh, some other stuff about how poorly Gabe Kapler communicated came up uh, because Kapler said something about him once he had gone to San Francisco, I think. And, and um, the, the thing with Williams is that he wasn't consistent. He was prone to streakiness and that he had gotten regular playing time. So you couldn't quite buy into him as a starter. And then he, you know, he kind of, he, he didn't really end up anywhere. He's never really walked a ton. He has struck out a lot. Uh, and like you're saying, yeah. Harper comes up and he, he takes the job. But uh, he doesn't have I think quite enough a... power. His power is like fringy. Right, right. You're talking ISOs of 185 and 170. And 185 is 2017 and 170 is 2018 as the ball is hopping all over the place and, and acting all different. Um, so really not too much better than average. An above average bat by WRC+, plus, like you're noting. But not the standout guy that he was billed as when he came over. Uh, in in trade at first, right as a, as a potential everyday player, as a starting player, and I th- I mean I don't know that he was pulled off the slush pile. I think kind of proves that point now, uh, and I don't know. That's that's another thing. It's like for the White Sox, like just give a single guy the job, but you can't because you don't know who that would be, right? Like all of these guys are fine in some respect, but like if you had to pick one of these players, who would it be between Vaughn? I can tell you who it'd be. It'd be Asiel Puig. That's who it would be. Why not go out and get Puig? He's perfect for this team. His personality is perfect for this White Sox team. Him and Tim Anderson together. I mean, come on. It's a great little buddy cop movie. Those guys will be great. He should he should have a I job somewhere. Head would well, that's true. But that's that's all part of it. I just think you can go outside the organization because they don't have that one guy. You're right. I don't think any of these guys on their own is going to be their everyday left fielder. I just don't I don't see it happening. If they are, then they're going to it's going to be a, a weak point. Yeah, and Puig, Puig is dealing with, I think, what, sexual assault charges or, or ac- accusations? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, well, that's still good then. Okay. The Cespedes. Let's go get Cespedes. <laughs> what about him? Does he have any assault charges? or? Cespedes certainly wouldn't be a bore, uh, even if he's been... There's got to be, there's gotta be some... There's, there's an outfielder out there who's better than Lurie Garcia. Yeah, that's the point. And what really is emphasized by these injuries early on is, like, teams aren't selling just yet, right? They're still playing it out a little bit, like... Yeah, you're not gonna get a trade partner. So I just the white the White Sox are so frustrating. I think, and especially in the context of the poll that we are framing this whole discussion in about who are injured, who we're worried about the most with these injuries. I feel like it has to be the White Sox. Otherwise, the only other team left really is the Blue Jays, right? Yeah, and you know the Blue Jays have had their bigger injuries, and and Springer will come back. But I think with the, you're right about the White Sox and that like there can be a real cascading effect for them. So if Jimenez is out, what if Romero goes out or if Eden goes out, then they're really 
digging into the depths for for pieces there and you can see it turning you can see it getting pretty bad pretty quick there in chicago the the blue jays i think have a little bit more leeway i mean i think they'll i mean it's a bummer not to have yates but uh they're gonna piece it together uh merriweather has looked pretty good out there i've long been a merriweather believer ever since they traded for him uh straight up for josh donaldson uh he's an older guy who hasn't really had an opportunity yet but he looks like he can be a piece for them they have enough offense you know Grichik is fine in stepping in for springer you know whether or not they have enough starting pitching is the question and so the pearson stuff is is a bummer but he was always going to have some time he was never going to be a uh you know 180 inning guy right. he was always going to be somebody that they watch so you know better that he's sitting out now than at the end of the year so even the blue jays i just i don't worry about i don't think their trajectory has been changed as much as the white Sox. you know it's funny you say that because the al east looks awfully strange right now with the red Sox at six and three the yankees at 500 right behind them with the rays the orioles at four and five and then the jays and last at four and six but I feel like that division could get shaken up a lot because balance is restored a little bit. The, the Red Sox fall toward the middle. The, the Orioles play down a little bit, and the Jays push up to the top with the Rays and the Yankees. I think what's unfortunate about the Jays is that pitching depth, is that you know how long do they really have to deal with Springer's injury because his is, what, an oblique, right? And the oblique is always yeah. tricky. Again, a muscular thing. But... Yeah. Again, in a divisional context, I think it might be coming out even in the wash because the Yankees are dealing with injuries. The Rays are dealing with injuries. We don't expect the other two teams to compete on the same level. So unlike the White Sox, who are really up against themselves in that division, aside from the Twins, who have been healthy and decent so far, it's really just the two-horse race. Uh, And maybe Cleveland, if they can stick around. I mean, the entire AL West is dealing with injuries outside of the Angels, right? The Astros, Mariners, A's, Rangers, all dealing with a lot of injuries. I feel like it's similar in the AL East where the footing is a little more balanced simply because the other teams are also dealing with some stuff right now. Does that feel like a reasonable read in terms of the impact these injuries early on are having for the Jays? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, everyone, you know, Nick Anderson is a big piece for the Rays to lose. Uh, Same for the Yankees and Zach Britton and Justin Wilson at the same time. And and Luke Voigt is a big piece for them to lose. So yeah, there is a certain amount of, you know, regression that's going to happen as these teams all get healthy. And you did mention the AL West, the A's are another team that I'm really bummed out by. I was pretty, I was pretty bullish on them coming into the year, largely because I loved the Trevor Rosenthal signing. And because I thought that while I didn't love their off season, considering what the type of numbers that they got from Semyon and their second baseman last year, you know, remembering that they only had the Stella for half the year, they could still, they weren't losing that much production actually, as much as it felt like they were losing by letting Semyon walk. And Rosenthal was incredible last year. He was, you know, 99th percentile in just about everything and strikeout rate and, and, and velocity, like, dude was really good. He was arguably better than Liam Hendricks and they got him for the same price as Hendricks, but only for the one year. I really ultimately loved what they did, but for Rosenthal to go down right away like that, again, that's going to have a cascading effect. They don't have that lockdown guy now in the bullpen and they're off to, they're off to a rough start and it's been divisional stuff for them, right? They're losing to the Astros 
or at least they've, they've started to bounce back a little bit and they always tend to, but you know, puck is another one of those guys who it's like, he's, is he ever going to get healthy? I don't know. It's kind so of like I, their I worry about what Whitley, this really right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, at least they've seen puck, yeah. but only for 11 innings. I mean, he's gotten a lot of play for someone with only 11 career innings, but, but I don't believe in the Astros or the angels. So, you know, I think there's, I think there's more space there, more margin for error than in the, in the NL East or AL East. But as you said, everyone's kind of starting slow there as they, as they get up to full speed. Yeah. And what stinks about Rosenthal is they had like 20 million to spend this off season. Right. And so instead of reinvesting it in Hendricks or Semyon alone, or, you know, kind of short shifting some of the other options they had, they went and spent it on what, like three guys and Rosenthal was the big name among those three, it was like $11 million out of that. It was pretty much half or a little more than half of their whole off season. And to see him go down so early into the season with what was it? Thoracic outlet syndrome. Is that his, his yeah. problem, which mm-hmm. derailed Matt, yeah. Har- Matt Harvey's career? Like, geez, even if they get him back, how, how much impact could he have right away? Yeah. And considering, I mean, obviously it's a different injury, but he took so long to recalibrate after Tommy John and, is that just the time away or is that the particular injury? Like there's no guarantee that he comes back after three months and is able to jump right back into form. I think there's, I think he's essentially, and you get to count him as a zero now and anything you get out of him towards the latter half of the year is gravy. Absolutely. And and what really seems to be coming to mind for me is so much of what we're talking about at this moment is really the human element of things, right? There's a, there's a toll, a mental toll to dealing with injuries for anybody. And there's a mental toll with the buildup to get back healthy. And there's a mental toll readjusting once you're back and, and being able to like not burn yourself out once you're healthy. And there's uh, there's the human element when it comes to building these teams and shaping up these rosters. And it's really unfortunate to see them kind of crumble so early with teams. You know, you can't really plan for these kinds of injuries. I mean, you can to a certain extent. You can definitely be better than the White Sox were, right? But right. Once they happen, it's like, I, I like the term cascading effect. I think that's really a sharp term to use because that seems to be the best way to describe the way that these teams are operating. I think one team that sticks out that isn't necessarily going to be competitive to me, they're, they're just, we're talking about next man up and how do they fill the void. Really interesting to see how the Mariners are shaking out with their, even like their, their outfield, right? Taylor Trammell seems to be maybe something, striking out a ton, but fascinating for me to see him come up and you know his, his third team and before he's even debuted as a top prospect and uh he he's starting to maybe put it together but they're really yeah, they, I mean, they have a sneaky a sneaky amount of outfielders i mean that's the, the one thing about letting kellenic season a little bit for a while longer and in triple a is that you know with mitch hanniger coming back uh you know they're able to actually let taylor Trammell play for a bit and see what they have in him they hope soon that kyle lewis and uh, and Kellenic will be in the outfield every day. So until that happens, you know, now's a good time to see what these other guys have, you know, Braden Bishop and Jake Fraley and, uh, and I think especially Tremel. Yeah, for sure. And one other note on the A's that really stuck out to me is Lou Trevino seems to be coming up as their bullpen ace, right? Every year they seem to have a new guy who pops out of nowhere comes into suddenly more relevance, and he's uh, he's kind of been it. He's striking out 32% of hitters so far, walking about the same amount. 
Uh, and early, obviously early, right? Of course, that caveat this early in the year, he's only thrown six games, but he seems to be a guy who could maybe lock it down a little bit. So I, I guess... I guess the silver lining for us as observers with all these injuries is we get to see who can fill the void and we get to, to gear our attention that way, right? Well, right, exactly. I mean, I, I was trying to think of examples when I was writing that article uh, and I, I was struggling to think of any besides Adam Wainwright coming in and, and being the closer for the, the Cardinals in 06 when Jason Isringhausen went down. You know, obviously in, in football, we only ever talk about Tom Brady as being the injury replacement kind of guy, but uh, you know, the guy who comes in gets a shot just because the guy ahead of him got injured. But it happens in baseball all the time. It's just less clearly, you know, all these guys are going to or a lot of them are going to get opportunities here and there. It's just a matter of like the bulk opportunity, right? Like Trammell is getting a lot of at-bats now, uh, bats that maybe he wasn't going to get before. So, you know, we do get to see, yeah, Trevino now is going to get some high leverage innings. It will be exciting to see as these guys pop up again. You know, Liam Hendricks was a classic case, right? He popped up out of nowhere after years and years of just being a regular guy. So, you know, there are going to be more of that, those guys again, likely in the out of the A's bullpen. So, uh, you know, that part is can be exciting uh, as, you know, as we go through the year. Yeah, I hope in a couple of weeks we get to do an episode based on surprises that have been really fun in the wake of these injuries. That would be yeah. a nice balance. But really, that brings us to this week in baseball. After going through the unfortunate injuries through the league, this week in baseball, a lot happening. As it always is, the first thing that jumps out to me is that Joe West won a defamation lawsuit <laughs> against Paula Duca. Um, TC, do you have any? First of all, he won $500,000 in this lawsuit. Goodness gracious. Yeah, do you have any response, any initial feedback once you see that come up across your screen? I mean, how many other lawsuits does Joe West have against for, former ball players? I don't really know. I don't really know anything about this case. What is what is it about? What was the so Joe West sued Laduca? <laughs> I'm, I'm just like sighing, having to talk about Paul Laduca and Joe West, two guys who are notoriously difficult personalities. Um, yeah. So West contends that Laduca said during an April 18th, 2019 podcast on the Action Network that he had been ejected 15 times during his major league career, and eight or nine had been by West. West's suit claimed Laduca said during the podcast that when the player was catching Billy Wagner during a Mets game against the Phillies in 06 or 07, West called three straight batters out on strikes. The umpire added that Laduca claimed Wagner told him the reason he got the calls was that the pitcher had allowed West to drive his 1957 Chevy. <laughs> so um, I, I think the, the, the catch here is that West is telling, or LaDuca is telling this story, and you can track which umpires worked which games. It's not, you know, like they keep logs of this stuff now. It's not 150 yeah. years ago. And so <laughs> Joe West takes him to court. He ends up winning. Yeah, I guess this says that LaDuca was actually ejected eight times and only once by West. Yeah. Not, you know, so it's like they have the records. He didn't eject you eight or nine times. Yeah. He ejected you one time. So my, when I saw this, I was like, well, grudge. Joe West wins. And I was like, well, when two losers fight, is there really a winner? <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, good Lord. I hope we don't have to talk about Joe West too much more this year. The Cubs had a COVID outbreak. You mentioned this at the top of the show. 
what kind of response do you see to this? Because it's really, you know, like they select Pedro Strope. They have uh, Jason Adam and Brandon Workman and Dan Winkler all on the aisle now for COVID. Uh, of course, the abundance of caution phrase comes up after bullpen co- coach Chris Young also tested positive. So what do you make of this? And how does this maybe impact the divisional outlook of the NL Central? I mean, I think the Cubs will be fine. They actually have decent depth in the bullpen, assuming this doesn't spread. One would think that with all the, you know, a lot of teams getting vaccinated now, you know, past that uh, 85% mark that the league is looking for teams, you know, teams want, uh, teams have lesser restrictions once 85% of the the team is vaccinated and teams are moving to that point. So, you know, hopefully this is the last one. Hopefully we get less and less of these. And it seems relatively small right now. You know, the Cubs can't hit, so it doesn't matter who's pitching in relief for them. But uh, hopefully this is another, like the, like the Nats situation with the Nats, that this is a short-term thing. Yeah, I hope so too. Although Craig Kimbrell has been dominant. So that's, that's a nice plus there, right? Uh, True. We're trying not to touch on too many injuries, given that we, that was the week's big idea, but Anthony Rendon went to the IL with a left groin strain and maybe that does ding up the, uh, the angels a little bit. So you're saying you don't believe in them. You're not a Jared Walsh believer either. Then I do like Jared Walsh. I just, you know, so much of their team is built around Otani being able to be a two-way force and he is a two-way force, but can he do it all year? And can the rest of the rotation hold up? I don't. I just don't think they have the the horses in that in that rotation. I think they got a bunch of four and five starters who are going to be trying to piece it together. So we'll see. Losing Rendon does not help. They are like the Nats in that they have you know they have between Rendon, Trout, and Otani, they have three of the best hitters in the world in the same roster. That helps. And add Jared Walsh to that for the best hitters. Right, and that leads us to Jed Jerko being named one of the managers for the MLB Draft League West Virginia team. Now, if you're not familiar with this, it's going to be a showcase league, right? Six teams of newly drafted players. I don't know how excited to get for it because I don't know how many top draft picks will actually play, how many teams will allow them to play. But how do you feel about how do you feel about this? This just seems like a nice little niche topic to bring up here at the end. I will tell you that I am super pumped about the MLB Draft League. I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be really competitive. See, and the thing that's interesting about it is only half the season takes place after the draft. So the first half takes place prior to the draft. So we don't know yet who's been drafted. So it's only draft eligible players who are going to be on these teams. So it's, you know, guys who finished their college careers, uh, guys who are eligible for the draft who don't yet know if they're going to be taken. And they're going to be playing alongside you know, we're going to have the top draft picks potentially playing alongside guys who may or may not get taken, and especially in just a 20-round draft this year. And then there's the draft right at the All-Star break, and then they come back for the second half, and it's, you know, all of a sudden you have, you know what teams these guys are on. So theoretically, if they do participate, I think it's I think it's a fascinating situation. It could be really fun to see, you know, that second part of the season, that second half, do the top prospects really play up to their – their weight or do we see some of these like undrafted guys find find a home for themselves make a name for themselves i think there's there can be some high drama there and the the set of managers they released is a very cool group it's it's like you said it's jerko it's coco crisp it's uh daryl may is one of them uh all, all former players i think you know it's six teams here in the mid-atlantic region i'm super pumped i'm gonna be a frederick keys fan because <laughs> uh, they're because they're here 
I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna check it out. I'm super excited about the draft league. I really enjoy your enthusiasm about it. I, I guess I'm a little more tempered because I just don't expect anything that sounds fun from the league to actually be fun. <laughs> so I'll, I don't know. I'll be curious if it does turn into a fun thing to follow. It sounds a little bit like part entertainment and part like G League, like the NBA has. And I hope it grows that way. I hope it really does become a beneficial thing where it's not something that teams want to avoid having players play in or that top prospects don't want to play in. I mean, even if you might not be taken, maybe you you don't see the advantage, but I hopefully feel that hopefully there is an advantage for them to embrace. Uh, And speaking of embracing things, we're like three or four surgeries into Brent Honeywell's career. And he finally made his debut just the other night. It was only two innings, but he did have a couple of strikeouts. He didn't walk anybody. And he seems like he could, I mean, he was optioned, but I'm sure he'll be back up soon with the Rays, with how they operate. Screwball's back. Well, the screwball's looking good. It's looking yeah. sharp. It was cool, he right? Looked good. He looked good. He was throwing, he was throwing, you know, 93, 94. He got up to 95. He looks really good. Two perfect innings. Hasn't allowed a hit yet in the major leagues. I'm, I'm all about it. I mean, he hasn't actually played. So he was about to make his debut in 2018. He was a, a top, top prospect. He was a top 10 guy heading into that season. And then right before the season started, he ended up having surgeries, right? And, he, and now he's had three surgeries in the, in the year since. He has not played since then. 2017 is the last time we have any stats from him. So to have him out there now, you know, he's 26, maybe a little bit beyond that prospect mark. He's, this is the first time in the last seven seasons that he hasn't been a top 10 prospect in the, in the race system by Baseball America. Baseball America has met. 17 now in their system so he's still a guy that they hope can turn into a mid-rotation arm potentially but you know he has to stay healthy and this is what they're going to do with him they're going to give him some piecemeal opportunities and in this particular case i like it because this is probably a mental block for him it's a long time coming he gets to come up check that box had a really strong performance and now he gets to go back you know get back to work but also he's got some positive vibes to go with so I like it, and we're going to see him. We will see him later, just a matter of when. What do you make of Alex Rodriguez finally getting an ownership stake in a, in a pro team? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, why not? I mean, the Timberwolves are kind of an interesting team for him to own. It seems like kind of analogous to the Mariners of his, of his day, <laughs> a team that has been uh, kind of a niche franchise that can't really get past the first round of the playoffs, and since then has really struggled. I mean, outside the Garnett era, they only have one playoff appearance. They're a mess. Uh, you know, the I, a few people online are, you know, uh, joking that the Timberwolves are the throw in because the links are awesome and the links are awesome. So yeah, the, you know, the they're also getting the, the WNBA team, right? Yeah. So I'll tell you one story about the Minnesota links. Uh, this was years ago when I was living in Minneapolis. So this would have been, you know, 20, 13 or something. It was a long, long time ago. And uh, I was just walking around it. I was in the target center for some reason. I can't remember why. And I got lost. And all of a sudden I was, I was in a Lynx game. Like I just went through a door <laughs> and like all of a sudden I was in, I was in the stadium. And it was like, wow, like there are not enough people c- coming to the WNBA games. They just, they just had the doors unlocked. Like the doors are just open and you can just wander in. <laughs> but I think now they have a little bit more of a following. Now that they've had four, four titles and, Maya Moore is a superstar and they've got a, they've got a heck of a team and, you know, somebody should Minnesota so they can actually win playoff games. So that's exciting for them. Yeah. What's unfortunate is 
I don't think A-Rod actually, actually mentioned the Lynx in his press release, right? He talked about no. only the Timberwolves. No. And he, he probably doesn't even know. No, he, he might not, but that's kind of a problem. Uh, I mean, he's not taking over right away. He and his billionaire partner, I mean, he's really the face of it. He's like the jeter of it in this context, right? Yeah. Uh, he's not putting up a ton of the money to actually buy the franchise, but it's a two-year thing where he'll take, he and his group and his partner will take ownership of the team within a couple of years after they're mentored and so on. Um, I don't know. I hope the Lynx don't get kind of screwed out of that. And I hope that they continue to be good. And I, I don't know what to think of him as an owner in anything. Um, I, I just hope the, the entertainment value stays high with him. <laughs> Is this just because of the breakup with JLo? Is he just trying to stay busy? <laughs> uh, yeah. A guy like him, I'm sure he has a hard time finding uh, other ways <laughs> to stay busy and spend money. I mean, I'm glad he's in the NBA. I think it's a better spot for him. He's tarnished here and and in baseball and NBA owners are more are more uh, visible. So it's going to be interesting yeah. to see, you know, a rod join that group, see exactly what he's like. He loves he does love the spotlight as much as he's kind of a goofball and kind of a kind of a dope. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll I, see. I'm excited. Why not? I joked that he was going to eliminate the three-pointer for the team because he <laughs> obviously even points are better than uneven points. <laughs> um, that brings us to the PL piece of the week. I'm looking at Kyle Horton's less is more for Tyler Naquin. Uh, Kyle really good at breaking down hitters, and he breaks down Naquin and some adjustments he made at the plate and how he kind of reshaped his, his pre-pitch stance and how that really influenced his swing. So I think that's... a a good way to spend your time. We also have the pod of the week, the fantasy matchup in the Pitcher List podcast, Fantasy Baseball League. Oh, yeah. Who we got? Uh, Who we got? We are up against the Shag and Flies guys, Ben Palmer and Zach Hayes this week. We took the loss to uh, Command the Zone last week at 2-6-2, and two, but Ben oh, and we Zach robbed. have... We were robbed. <laughs> we are dealing with a, quite, with a handful of injuries there with Tatis and, uh, and so on. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're again, spirited effort. We're going to give the spirited effort all year. <laughs> uh, ben and Zach talk about really the kinds of conversations you might have, just shagging flies, but, you know, killing time type of conversations that are a lot of fun. Of course, you can check them out on the podcast network. Uh, really, that brings us also to where you can find us online. So, TC, where can everybody find you? Uh, I'll be writing... Uh yesterday i guess if i speak into the future uh wednesday <laughs> night i'll be writing a trade rumors uh, i'll be there again saturday morning and i've got a piece coming out on that nationals three-headed monster in the rotation on friday at pitcher list and then you can find me on twitter at tc zanka very nice i am at tim jackson says i just wrote up the padres for their depth charts uh piece at bp uh you'll see me there every other week with a fantasy freestyle piece similar to i guess kind of like the going deeps and the across the seam sections here, pitch a list. And you can find us as a podcast at breaking pod PL. You can find us uh, through email at breaking at gmail.com. And of course, if you could rate us five stars and comment, that would just light up our hearts and really help out the pod in general, because we just love spending time with you and we can't wait to spend more time with you next week. So we hope you have the best week ever. And we hope, to hang out more next time. See you then, everybody.